Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Western history has led us to the most prosperous age in the history of humanity. And yet more and more, our kids are taught to be ashamed of their country. Are you tired of Common Core, Howard Zinn-influenced revisionist history in our schools? Do you want your family to have fun learning about history that you can trust? Do you want your kids to learn to love history? Then drivethroughhistory.com is for you. The guys over at drivethroughhistory.com have created a world of entertaining, on-location, video-based courses for your kids. They've got ancient history, American history, biblical history, and world history. Perfect for all of you who find yourself homeschooling for the first time. It's fun, and your kids are going to love it. To learn more, head over to drivethruhistory.com forward slash Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, where they've got streamed courses and old school DVDs, and you can use the code Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, at checkout for 20% off any order. That's drive, com forward slash Zuby. Go check it out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on an author, a podcaster, host of the weekly Dumpster Fire show on YouTube as well. And she's a comedian. And this is Bridget Fetessy. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Most welcome. So Bridget, for those of you, for the people out there who don't know you, tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Well, I write and I have a podcast, as you mentioned, and I now have a show on YouTube, uh, Dumpster Fire, that just kind of makes fun of the dumpster fire that the culture is, and particularly in America, in American politics right now, as you've commented on. And I also am writing a book and I'm just, um, I do stand-up comedy when you're allowed to, mm-hmm. <laughs> when when stages are open. And I really just like being creative and have a, I started a company many years ago and it went bankrupt. And then I have re, uh, it's in kind of its second evolution. I never really gave up on the dream. I mean, my story's long and weird. I am sober. Um, that's a huge part of my story and what I talk about regularly. Um, And I'm a big proponent of taking control of that which you can and knowing, um, you know, how to stay in your own lane and 
and take care of yourself and recognizing the areas in which you're kind of powerless. So I think we, you and I really see eye to eye on getting out of the victimhood mentality and really taking control and personal responsibility. And I had a long history with feeling like a victim. So um, I have a lot of experience of getting out of that mentality. Mm. So, wow, there's a, there's a lot. Yeah, there's There's a lot lot there. there. Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot there. Um, So I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with, um, you know, so someone who knows you, I'm a little bit familiar with your background and having seen some of your previous interviews and things like that. I know you're, you're open and you've talked about that stuff a lot. So as someone who has, I mean, can you, can you give a little bit of a a background story? I mean, it's interesting to know, given where you are now, of course, there, there's a whole history behind it. There's a whole sort of life story behind it all. So could you give a somewhat abbreviated, abbreviated version of that to give some context? I can do my best. So I guess the best, you know, if you were to ask me what my role, somebody introduced me as a media personality, which I think is probably the correct, although maybe not my favorite title, but that almost happened accidentally, which is the book I'm writing about. And a lot of it is because I come from, I was raised very liberal in Mm -hmm. my upbringing. I'm a big, I come from a big family, Irish Catholic, East Coast, and we were very much like the old school kind of Democrats. You know, my grandmother, I always joke, worshipped Kennedy and Jesus like equally (laughs) (laughs) and alcohol. And um, so we had, I just never really questioned that paradigm ever. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've kind of mentioned this before, just the idea of factory settings and having these things that are put in your brain, just it's really the nurture that you're raised with. Mm -hmm. And I never questioned it. And I kind of barreled through life and a lot of, I was a very high achieving student. We moved every year and a half. And then I kind of gave up on myself at a certain point and I started partying a lot and I wanted to just fit in with um, wherever I went. I was tired of just being the new girl. And I knew that if I adopted this party girl persona, that I would have just an automatic group of friends no matter where I went. Mm. And I lost myself very young and ended up in rehab at age 19 for a heroin addiction. And so, and I didn't get, I got sober, but I didn't stay sober. Mm. I got, I never used heroin again because I convinced myself that that was the problem, which I see now as a fatal, (laughs) fatal error in my judgment. Mm -hmm. And then I continued on and um, I really lost years of my life in alcoholism. I was married to a Belarusian I was waiting tables. I always, I around the age of 19, right after I got out of rehab, when I was sober for a little, there was a little window. I really realized that I was a creative person and wanted to move to LA or New York and pursue a creative path. And probably acting was what I came to LA for originally, but I was also, I wrote like, it was like breathing to me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't, even think that I could be a writer. It was just something I did. So I lived in through my 20s. Um, I came out to LA right after rehab, basically. And okay. then I was here for two years and left and went back east. It's a lot of family drama and a long story. But uh, I ended up spending many years 
in this restaurant industry rut, uh, feeling like uh, there were certain things that happened that were out of my control that made me very feel very entitled to feeling like a victim. Okay. Um, some of which I've talked about, some of which I don't know that I'll ever talk about. And sure. I was really just stuck in my own stuff. I couldn't, it was like my wheels were spinning in the mud and I, and so much of it now I see is just alcoholism. I couldn't mm. get out of my own way and smoking weed. And I was still doing some other drugs, just not heroin. And then around 27, 28, I got, I, and again, I, I'm kind of that classic alcoholic and in, in the literature and 12 step programs, they'll talk about how you try to do literally everything other than quit drinking. So I found a therapist. I became certified in yoga. I did all, I just only, I quit drinking and only smoked weed. You do all these things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I did all that. And then I, I ended up um, starting my company at 26 okay. and I was on my way out of my first marriage. It just wasn't working. We were very young. I was 23 when I got married the first the, this time mm-hmm. and um, I left and came back to LA basically and we got separated. I So I came out to LA and I just had wreckage. I had wreckage with my family. I had wreckage. I had a marriage. I, my to-do list was like, go bankrupt, get divorced. <laughs> uh, and I had no money. Yeah. And it was just, I had felt like I was a failure. And mm. I had, I had failed. I mean, I failed miserably when I was 19. And I really have been looking at a lot of this lately. I don't think I ever forgave myself for that first failure. And I thought I was so old at 19. And I will say this to anyone young listening right now who might be feeling like, oh, I wasted my time. I'm 23. Oh, I messed up and I'm 25. And I went and my life went in a different direction. You are young, like Mm. so incredibly young. And I you never, it's never really too old to turn around your life. I know people in their seventies who have got sober and, and, or changed their life. And I thought I was just so old at 19 and I never forgave myself for that initial mess up. And I think Mm. I carried it with me through my twenties and I got sober. I did an experimental year of sobriety around the age of 30. And then that kind of changed the way drinking was for me forever. However, then I went around the world for two years, just traveling around the globe, uh, not sober. Lucky I didn't end up in locked up abroad mm-hmm. and I should have. And then um, I came back and I was very lost and um, got sober at 35. So that was almost seven years ago now. And so much of everything, even as I'm talking to you, I realize really centers around that addiction and alcoholism and just the kind of long struggle that I had with it, not really even realizing that I was struggling with it. Mm. Because for years, I was just like, I got this. I'm not, I refuse to go back. I'm not giving up drinking. And it took me a long time. The bottom that I hit at 35 was much more emotional. It was more internal. And what I realized was that I had had it was a spiritual bottom. I just okay. had bottomed out. I had experienced the physical bottom at 19. I had lost all kinds of things. I lost my health when I was 19. I lost a job. My 
college. Mm. Um, materially, I had bottomed out probably more than once. I had been divorced and now bankrupt. But what hit me at 35 was something much deeper inside. And I was suicidal, basically. I really just didn't want to live. Yeah. So that brings me to finding my way weirdly into the culture wars, which was I got sober and then I started doing all the things I wanted to do, one of mm. which was writing. And I was um, a columnist of, for Playboy. Okay. And so we, b- b- before we before we go on, there's something yeah. you said there that I wanted to go 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 a little bit deeper on is you said you had that um, you hit the emotional bottom mm-hmm. and that was a transition point how did you how did you get yourself out of that hole um i went back to a 12-step program and i got sober and i really surrendered and i had been very anti 12-step i wasn't just like oh if it works good for them i had a lot of issues with them which i understand now is makes sense being that i didn't want to get sober Mm. Um, but I had had a lot of issues and I thought it was fear-based and all this stuff. And I have come to see that I, there's something for me and I think there are many ways to find that spiritual center, but for me, it's so rooted in, you know, I come from Catholicism, so I had a lot of issues around God. Okay. Just growing up with, it's it's just, I came in, I call myself a recovering Catholic too. There were just, it, it wasn't, scripture has helped so many of my friends and so many people I know ground their life in it. And I do to a certain degree, but more than anything, what I love about the 12 steps is that it's grounded in service and this kind of idea. I mean, the genius of that program is that someone had the foresight to say, God or God as you understand him, Mm. whatever your concept is, because so many people have baggage around and they realized that it was a block to people getting sober. And that was um, just that willingness to accept really anybody. Mm. And whatever, for me, when I first came in, I had such a hard time with the concept. My sponsor was like, I don't care what it is. It can be the group. It just can't be you. And so I made it dogs because it was God spelled backwards and they're everywhere. (laughs) So every time I, and they just represent what I really want out of a higher power, which is loyalty and being present in the moment and joy and um, just companionship, feeling like they're always there. And they have such a huge presence, these animals. It's crazy. So that was it for me. I mean, it was that simple. It's expanded a lot in the seven years, but that was the door that I walked through and being of service. I mean, I was already waiting tables, but I was so bitter about the fact that I was waiting tables. And then I got sober and I realized that it was an opportunity to literally be of service. That Mm -hmm. was my job was a server. And once I made that shift mentally and being sober and not hung over and waiting to get off my shift and all these things, it became um, such a joy to wait tables. It suddenly just, it's amazing how something that I did for almost 20 years was, it was just so revealing to me about how perspective truly is everything. That I had done that job for years and felt miserable and resentful and then got sober and shifted the way that I perceived the job and it was a joy and I was honored to be doing it. 
Gotcha. No, that, that's, that's, that's powerful. And so from there, I know you, you started writing after it, you started writing at Playboy after this and then everything else followed. Is that correct? Yes. So okay. I was always trying to write. I wrote a column in my hometown when I was in the, the dark years, as I was calling them back in um, my twenties and alcoholism and married, but that was the most I'd ever been paid for. And it was $50 a column. Mm-hmm. And I caused all kinds of problems in my call. I sh- <laughs> that should have been a sign actually of things to come. Yeah. Um, and then I got, I wrote a column for Playboy and then they hired me to write a regular one. And I did that starting in 2015. But that was when just putting myself out there and writing, the world had changed so much and I was not very online. So mm-hmm. suddenly I was exposed to the culture wars and things had changed a lot with the millennials from I'm Gen X. Mm -hmm. So even just things like feminism and the, and all of the microaggressions, I did not know. I mean, I knew nothing, (laughs) nothing. I knew nothing of critical theory. I had knew nothing. I knew nothing. I was, I was just a little, I was like a baby seal that was in (laughs) left that was l- unleashed into shark infested waters that had been domesticated or I, it was truly like I came out of a blackout literally mm. into the culture wars. Not that that's an excuse, you know, igno- I'm not saying I was ignorant and that I'm, I'm, I'm excused by that, but man, the, the learning curve has been extremely steep mm. and very public. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had to publicly acknowledge how much of a moron I am over and over <laughs> It's very humbling. <laughs> that that's interesting. So, I mean, how did you how did you even get involved in this world? I say this as someone else who has sort of reluctantly been been dragged kicking and, and screaming from my sort of main primary career that people certainly used to know me for as as a musician to mm-hmm. sort of becoming some type of cultural, socio-political commentator and podcaster and frequent podcast guest and all, you know, just someone who's involved in this whole conversation. So I I know how I got, I know how I ended up in it, but how did you, how did you end up there? What was the first thing? Oh, Twitter. Okay. Okay. I mean, really it was Twitter. It was because I was doing stand up as well. And I just noticed that I was self-censoring Okay. and I'm a comedian. I'm not supposed to censor anything. And I was not saying things about the left that I wanted to say. And I I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then I realized that it was because there was this whole climate of silencing and fear and cancel culture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I see these things like the letter going out now, and I mean, good for it, but welcome, you know, (laughs) congratulations. Welcome to what I've been. It's frustrating from someone on the left because I'm not like a, a academic or considered somebody who's um, I don't have the like the credentials to be taken very seriously, but a lot of the stuff that they're writing about, we uh, many of us in the left have been screaming for five years now, mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, I'm so glad to see that it's kind of jumping mainstream because I think, as Claire Lehman from Quillette has said before, we have to share the risks. So really, I reluctantly got dragged into this just by not being quiet, which Mm. is a challenge for me. (laughs) And so I just started saying things that I just didn't, I stopped censoring myself really in any way that I might've been. And 
it's easy to go after Trump if you live in L.A. It's not so easy (laughs) to go after anyone on the left. Yeah. And if you're in my and I know that it comes with a certain amount of risk. I knew I kind of I remember definitely the moment where I sat down and had to say this might cost me some of my dreams. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I might not be able to work in a writer's room, for example, Mm -hmm. because the other writers might be on Twitter and they might say, oh, she interacts with Ben Shapiro and I don't feel safe. How dare you? Or whatever. Yeah, I know. The the, the, I don't feel safe thing is so jarring. The whole like the, the, the language that gets used, like the safety and trauma and harm and violent. I'm like, look, stop misusing every single word that. Yeah. That exists and and is supposed to have a real meaning it's so i don't know it's so what's the word it's terrifying it's un, it's it's unsettling yeah it's For just me, so it's, overhyped yeah but it's also deeply unsettling and yeah. in ways that i can't really always articulate because it's so insidious mm. my ex-husband is much better at articulating this because he comes from belarus yes. and communism so he is very able to identify what is happening and Mm. in a way that I think is why I feel so unsettled by it. And then even just rereading 1984, it's seeing it and you see these, you know, like the office of diversity and inclusion. (laughs) And by the way, once you set my friend and I were talking about this the other day, once you set up an anti-racism, you know, task force, you can never disband that. If you have that at your college, for example, there was an article yesterday, two days ago that came out about how their English is racist. Grammar is racist. Of course. Did you see this? Yeah. uh, yeah, Everything's racist. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Logic, science, clear thinking, individuality, all of it. It's all whiteness. It's disgusting. Yes. I know. (laughs) Nuclear family. Crazy. Yeah, that's weird. And and it's it's this like, I don't feel safe language is used as kind of this cudgel to silence yes. people. And you can basically say, I don't feel safe and get anybody kicked out of a room or mm-hmm. kicked off of a fired from an administration or any number of things that sh- it shouldn't be that easy because yeah. you're feeling unsafe. Mm-hmm. What I mean that it's, we live in, I, we live in very, insane making times and i'm i talk a lot about this lately all the time basically it's all i ever want to talk about is (laughs) how worried i am about the mental health of everybody yeah because now that that we're all yeah but now that we're all locked up and like this is the worst place to if you aren't feeding your spirit and your soul Mm -hmm. and you're only on twitter all day fighting and you're projecting all of your own because we're all just projecting our own psyches on there it's Mm -hmm. so much of it is our so much of it is projecting our own cognitive distortions without even realizing it Mm -hmm. and then you're absorbing all of these other cognitive distortions and now it's just one nightmarish (laughs) that everybody's really just feeding off everyone else's insanity and then the world is increasingly reflecting that and it's I'm just, I'm very worried about, Mm. um, you know, I take, it takes me a lot of daily work to, and I was joking about this on dumpster fire today. I was saying it's, it takes a lot for me to stay sane. And that is as a loose version of sane. It's a, I mean, 
as sane as I think I am or might be, but it's not, it's still like I have an alcoholic brain. I misperceive things. I get insecure. I feel like people don't like me. I have all kinds of, you know, I'm still probably unhealthily addicted to Twitter at times. Mm-hmm. I, I, we think we're stronger than the algorithm. We're not. <laughs> we are, <laughs> it is feeding us dopamine all day long. I, the, smartest, the smartest brains in the world are working on how to keep you glued to the internet. Yeah. Media, so, yeah. yeah. And addicted to foods. So it's good. It's good to know yeah. why that's where the brain power is going. So yeah, I made that kind of conscious decision knowing that I'm not a victim. You know, when people, I I try very hard to, I know now, and this is also why I it's very important for me to be sober. I don't question if I tweeted something when I was stoned or should I have said that? <laughs> you know, I don't have any doubt. I have yeah. to be clear and know that I'm in the Thunderdome and that I'm standing in the in the Coliseum or wherever, and that I have made myself as per- mentally um, sound as I possibly can. And when I start getting agitated, I just log off. And yep. if there, you know, it's it does get to a point where I wrote a piece about it that's going around right now, actually, about how Twitter. You know, I had this crazy dream where I was sitting with future Bridget on her deathbed. And she was asking me about how I felt about my time spent on Twitter and Zuby. I, <laughs> I have not been the same since That's hilarious. I just haven't. That's hilarious. Twitter is amazing though. If you, use yeah, it, it is. It's a, it's an amazing tool and it can be, and I've met you and so many people. I was, I should have just named my podcast. All of my friends are from Twitter because that's <laughs> basically what it is. But it's but it can also be a, a supremely negative addiction for yeah. many people. You really have to, you know, I say you have to use the tool, not let the tool use you. Mm-hmm. And there's and always going to be a bit of a trade-off. It might vary from day to day and hour to hour. But I think that, you know, way too many people on social media in general are just sort of mindlessly scrolling and consuming without any sort of self-awareness or thought of what they're doing and what the potential impact and you know repercussions of it are because you know we're, we're living in the biggest human experiment ever right now <laughs> the, past, the past 15 years yeah like i'm not supposed to be able to why can we reach hundreds of thousands of people from our like from tapping buttons when that's not human like we're not meant yeah. to be able to do that like that's that's insane hundreds of thousands of people millions of people are not supposed to be able to you know, the fact anybody, literally anybody can reach you, can reach me. Like, that's what's cool. But also it's like, <laughs> that's not yeah. meant to be the case. I get some message. I'm like, I'm like, you shouldn't even be able to reach me. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you, like, why can you even reach me sort of thing? Like, who are you? Like, what is this? I got one of those today where oh, I was geez. like, dude. Just one? Like, Lucky. Well, I get them all day, but this one was like, I'm not subscribing because you aren't interacting enough. I'm like, it's <laughs> <laughs> and then people start telling you what to do and you know yeah. tell you what <laughs> I think that's a product of being open too if you're super yeah. open about your experience and your journey people think that they kind of own you in a weird yeah, yeah, way weird. and it is a very strange suddenly people get very demanding mm. of your time and attention and and notice things that I I'm like wow read into things that mm-hmm. I might be doing or not doing that have, you know, I, when I got sober, one of the things 
and I still remind myself this all the time, it's not about me. You know, it's very easy to get, but I'm like, oh, wow, a lot of other people are struggling with the same concept. Like, it's not, don't take it personally. You know, that's oh, gosh, one of those yeah. four agreements. Like, don't, don't take everything personally. Mm. And that's, I have to remind myself of that, but I, I can see that some of the people who follow me might need to be reminded of that as well. <laughs> oh, seriously. Yeah. It, it's a very strange dynamic. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that, you know, firstly, I'm like a super, super like low, low emotional person, which, which certainly yeah. helps, but also from my music. So from like, you know, when I released my first album at 19 and then from then onwards, I've, I've been facing public scrutiny and criticism for like well over a decade. So I've kind of built up that tough skin up to an exoskeleton from that. And then all my years just going out and promoting and hustling on the street and doing direct sales and all of that. It's like, I get a lot of people like, man, how do you deal with all the online stuff. I'm like, dude, compared to I'm bulletproof at this point, you know, (laughs) there's there's nothing anyone can sort of say or whatever that's going to like majorly rattle me. Some things, there are certain things that just make me kind of feel like sad for people. Like nothing rattles me directly, but some stuff I read and I'm like, what possesses somebody to like write this? You know, why? Like what's, I just sort of lament for human humanity in a way. I get that. Yeah. Like what's going on here? I'm pretty, I'm pretty bulletproof. I I won't say that things don't affect me. Mm. Um, and malice always calls me out on this. He's like, it's because you're too empathetic. And maybe that is <laughs> the weakness or something. I just, I, but I too have that moment where somebody will say something just horrific to me. And yeah. I'm like, wow, what? <laughs> I, I pray for them. Yeah, you know, it, real, it sounds real. stupid and cliche, but I really, I have to, as easy as it would be to react Mm -hmm. really my first instinct is just sadness because I see so much pain in that kind of I can't imagine logging in and saying some of the things that people say Mm -hmm. anonymously or not Mm -hmm. it's just not and maybe it's just because I was a product of so much bullying growing up but it's just not in me to be that um I'm sure I have it in me to be cruel. I know mm. that all humans do. I don't think that I don't have that capacity, but just those, I, I don't know. I just, it seems crazy to me that that's yeah. how you would spend your time. Yeah, uh, I'm the same. All. You know, there's people just every day. I'm just like, man, there's people who, who, there's millions of people around the world who log in every day on Twitter on YouTube, on it, and they just start hating. Like, they're just, yeah. <laughs> like, just, like this is their goal. Like, I'm just like, man, I mean, you know, I've spent zero minutes in my entire life doing that. Or, you know, let me go watch a whole bunch of YouTube videos I don't like so that I can dislike them and write mean comments and aggravate, you know, I get, do you get like personal emails sometimes? Like, you know, I, I, so I'll get people sending me an essay to explain how much they dislike me. And yeah. it's just, <laughs> no, normally not in the kindest time. of words. Yeah. It's just yeah. incredible. I'm like, okay, so you heard me on the radio and I said something on the radio that you didn't like. So your first thought was, okay, I'm going to find this guy's email address and I'm going to write like a long screed to like cuss him out and insult him and all. And I'm just like, what oh. this is you to do that. That's the last thing I hear stuff. I disagree with every single day. And at no point yeah. have I gone, let me find this person's email address and like spend an hour. <laughs> it's such, such an odd mentality. I don't get it. I've joked about this even just with, um, you know, I see women 
dating men and they'll be like, he liked this girl's Instagram. And it's really occurred to me that I'm way too narcissistic to stalk anyone. I'm like, (laughs) wow, you actually spend time like that. I I'm way too a and driven and probably too. I'm Mm -hmm. just too focused on my own stuff to be spending time, um, spending time like <laughs> like that you know mm. like checking what some dude is like what he's liking yeah i mean bridget i think you you once liked the tweet that i disagree with so um <laughs> we're actually doing this podcast because i want to formally cancel you <laughs> this is really just an intervention <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so odd i've had people like message me hey how come you like that tweet I'm oh like, my you- the, <laughs> what that, the creeping of the likes is <laughs> I've never, I've had people, I didn't even know this was a thing until people started being like, she's telling on herself and her likes all day, but I like everything. I mean, I like stuff from the left, from the right. I'm like, if you look at my likes, it would be, it would, you would think I was a schizophrenic because I just love, because to me, I'm like, I love giving out love. I see it as a way of being loving online. So I just, am like, I like everything. I often use it just to acknowledge that I've read something. I just just like an acknowledgement. Okay, yeah, I read this. But I can't imagine spending time looking at what anyone else likes. Again, maybe it's narcissism. Maybe it's self involvement. Maybe it's drive. I think it's actually. I think it's actually a good thing. I don't think you need to make excuses for it. I think the people who do it are the ones who need to explain themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? What are you doing? And you're reading into it too, which is a weird thing. So you're, you're now mind reading. Oh gosh. Yeah. And intention, which happens a lot. Mm -hmm. You're, and this is a thing that we see constantly of this mind reading someone's intention and assuming the worst. Oh yes. Which is another thing I don't understand really. Why would you just jump to assume? I mean, I understand worst case scenario thinking I'm an addict so that like going from A to doom is easy for me to do, mm. but I don't, I don't really, I, I try very hard not to assume the worst intentions of everyone, even people who are, who would happily destroy me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you find you make a lot of enemies or do you think that people are more just kind of being silly? I I think that there are a lot of people who, you know, I, I, I think this is the biggest thing that I wrestle with is that I, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anyone. You know, I, I can push back. You and I both are in this same space for many of the similar reasons. And I can push back against some of the craziness around um, for example, that comes from trans activists in particular, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to hurt the trans community, you know? So, so how do you, you get put in this position where it's like, well, yeah, I want to push back against some of this craziness that you see in the ideology, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to hurt actual vulnerable communities. And I worry a lot that I am, whether Mm -hmm. I'm trying to or not. And I, it's not my intention to, but I think you're a better person than me. No, <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't worry. No, uh, like no, I, I, you know what it is. It's like with me, I know, I know what's in my heart, and I know what my intentions are. 
And I know that I have no hatred for any individual or group. Right. Yeah. So given that I know that, I've kind of just read the stage where, like, look, I don't really, I'm not going to sugarcoat things to because of the potentiality of possibly offending someone or someone wanting to choose to pretend to be offended by something I did or said because they're doing mind reading, as you said, or they're they're coming up with the worst possible view of why I'm saying that. Because it's like, look, I, I think I, I speak very clearly and concisely. And, you know, what I say is what I mean, right? So right. if I say something and if someone is like, oh, you know, like, if I post, of course, I had my 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 viral deadlift tweet or whatever, and right, and some if someone is like, "Oh, he's posting this because he hates trans people," and I'm like, "No, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm yeah. not even, I'm not even going to spend huge amounts of time like defending myself and explaining and whatever. I'm just like, no, right? That's not even. You've got zero evidence for that. You're just trying to drag me into the silly game so that I go on the defensive." And start like, yo, I'm sorry, I didn't mean. I was like, no, I'm not apologizing for anything. I'm not like, I'm just, I did what I did. I said what I said. I made the point, and that's that, you know. And once you have a large audience, the reality is that people are always gonna. Some people will misunderstand you, sort of innocently, right? They'll genuinely misunderstand you. But there are a lot of people out there who don't have good intentions, right? No. A lot of people do not have good intentions, and they are trying to you know get you to bow or to twist your words in a malicious way or to do this or to do that and i'm just like look like you guys can play your game i'm just gonna do what i do keep it real and if something if you genuinely don't understand something i'm happy to explain it yeah but if you're gonna do this disingenuous thing then whatever i think part of it comes from wanting to i don't want to become that which I criticize. So sure. I don't, I don't necessarily want to become the person who is just generalizing about large groups of people because of they might share an ideology. Mm -hmm. And I try to take people individually. That's one of my, I guess, not hesitations, but where that feeling of worry. Yeah. The other is I've had my ass, pardon me, handed to me. <laughs> My bum handed to me by life. Um, okay. I have been humbled mm -hmm. by many circumstances in which I thought perhaps I was doing the right thing and it went a, a different way because I can't control everything. Or So even if my intentions were good, it is that, that very famous quote. So I know it's in my heart. I don't have... I, I really just... I love people deeply. I yeah. feel... Um, sad for humans generally, as we were talking about when they're when they're that angry, you know mm -hmm. that much I have because I have been that person who is trapped in victimhood, mm -hmm. and some of the things that happened to me, I was a victim. That yes. doesn't mean that I have to embrace victimhood as mm -hmm. my identity. Mm -hmm. And that's taken a lot of therapy, sobriety, and self-work to get to that point. And I still have to weed out places where I might feel... Entitlement was another big one. Yeah. Just rooting out entitlement mm -hmm. in places that it didn't belong. So I think being brought to my knees by life as many times as I have been 
has given me a perspective that I don't, I look at men like you and people in this space who don't seem to have any of that um, self doubt, I guess, that I do feel I have. I, I feel sometimes, and I think that it could be just the product of, of me being so wrong so many times, sure. you know, so I've, I've failed greatly in my life already. Yeah. And I have learned that, um, I don't really always know where these people are coming from, but I do know that in my past when I've lashed out and been not my very best person, that it's usually come from pain and hurt. And sure. so I don't want to contribute to that, but I also won't be a doormat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult balance. I mean, yeah. to what degree do you feel that you're sort of, I mean, because you are a, a public figure to some degree now, how much sort of responsibility do you feel to help people, I guess, in that sense? Do you feel that that's sort of something you're obliged to do or not so much? I feel a responsible, you know, I'm, I don't feel responsible for, it's really none of my business what people think of me. Sure. This is very basic therapy 101. Uh, I don't feel responsible for the way people react to me either, because so much of it is being filtered through their own factory settings. And I have no control over that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm powerless over pretty much everything and everyone other than my own behavior. So I do feel a responsibility to behave in ways in which I would expect other people to behave. I always try and tell my, you know, following, I don't, I'm not responsible for what they do, who they follow, not, yeah, what yeah. they like. I don't want them to mob people. Yeah. You know, if, if somebody comes after me, I'm, I'm, and I maybe I've, I've learned this a hard way. Just even I had a comedian friend and he responded to me and I responded back to him and I didn't realize people were looking at even my responses. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's I weird. still it's have, weird. because when you grow yeah. fast too, I still have the mentality of somebody with 10,000 followers yeah, or totally. 20 and it's different. It just, it's some things <sighs> happen where it's a learning curve and I'm yeah. like, Whoa, yeah, this yeah. poor person is getting mobbed and yeah. made fun of and mocked by all of these people. And I don't want that. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to do that. And yeah, so much of tricky. Twitter is that. Yeah, and I've done that. I do that to people who are bigger than me. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll like go after AOC and joke, make <laughs> But she's she can take it. I feel like if you're in the, you know, that's the thing is that if you are in this space, you've got to be able to take it. And if yeah. I'm dishing it out and get it back from one of these people who's much bigger than me, well, mm -hmm. okay. I learned that lesson when I had 200 followers and Dane Cook retweeted me and I had three days <laughs> of like his idiot <laughs> followers telling me that I was ugly and I'm an idiot. Uh -oh. And I was like, I'm not going to get mad. I, I told him that he, that he was bad, that he sucked at comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a funny one. The, the, the power dynamic on social media is a weird thing. It's a weird yeah. thing. And that's something I've had to be really, really like, like you said, there've been a lot of learning moments for me because, you know, I'm, I'm far less um, sympathetic than you are, I think. So sometimes I don't care if, you know, there's certain things if someone said, I'm like, look, you deserve to get hammered. I don't care. But yeah, yeah. like sometimes there have been ones where it's like, oh, wow, did I just sort of, you know, Q 
kill an ant with a flamethrower sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Or, you know, where like I've, I mean, I've I've had this has happened multiple times where like the person ends up deleting their whole account, right? Oh, they, no. they say something ridiculous to me, and you know, the, my follow because my followers are ride or die. <laughs> like I've got, I've got some follow like they they will like if someone disses me, like they will go so hard at them. And I've had ones where it's like, whoa, that whole person just like deleted their entire, like, didn't they just protect it? Like, they're just off Twitter now. And I was like, wow. oh, okay, that wasn't my, that wasn't my intention, yeah. you know, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know, like, like, there are lots of things now, which I won't, like, I just, I'm just like, you know what, I'm not going to respond to that because no. the reaction, not from me, but the response, it's- like, in general could just be overkill. And it's like, okay, like, they get the point. You don't need to keep beating them into submission, you know? And I think that's why when you get to the point of Rogan or, you yeah. know, I still don't think that people will joke and they're like, you're famous. I'm like, no, I'm not like yeah, yeah. your mom doesn't know my name. I'm not, I'm not famous until your mom knows who I am. Yeah. I'm somebody interviewed, introduced me once in DC as a Twitter celebrity. And as much <laughs> as that made me want to take my life immediately, <laughs> immediately um, it's the truth, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's a hard pill to swallow, but that is where Twitter gave me wings in many mm. respects. And it's the, one of the amazing things is that if you can, you can kind of break through, yeah. but it, it's, it's not, I don't see myself as I actually kind of love where I am right now. Mm-hmm. It's like still not powerful enough that I'm really making any waves or making any difference, but I have a really fun audience. Mm. And so I don't have, um, I don't have any cultural impact like Candace Owens or AOC, you know, people who have these massive followings and really kind of move the needle. Mm. I'm not moving any needles. I'm well, just, you know, I think boiling away down, <laughs> down in the mud, having fun. I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I can, it. I can guarantee you that you have more impact than you think you do. Maybe, but I, I'm it. enjoying, I'm enjoying not being big enough yeah. that anyone cares. Yeah, no, I, 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 I get, <laughs> I get what you mean. I mean, this is something I've learned online is, um, however many people who you think know you or have heard of you or whatever, it's, it's going to be a multiple times more than that. What that the reality will be multiple times more. So even if I mean even your follower account, right? You've probably got like three times as many people who sort of follow your account than actually mm-hmm. follow you in terms of people who like regularly hate me. <laughs> yeah, or you know you you have people who just don't use Twitter and they like right. they 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 use it, but they're not like they don't have an account, but they go on there and they look at stuff. And you have people who use lists so that they don't follow people, etc. I mean, I really realized this in, in two things. When I went out to the U.S. last year, that was a big one because in every single city I was in, I was like, like I just had people recognize me off of, like, <laughs> off of social media or whatever. Wow. And, then, um, and then also when I got temporarily suspended for the OK Dude thing, like that was when I realized like both on the positive on the negative, because there are a lot of people who like, obviously, like there are millions of people on Twitter who know who I am. Mm. And, you know, some of them are fans, some of them are followers. A lot of them really, do. like, this is when I realized how many people don't like me. Because <laughs> uh. when that happened, and because I, blo- I was locked out, but I could still sort of see what's going on on Twitter. 
And I was like, see, like the amount of people who were like celebrating, yes, we took down Zuby, we got Zuby, like, you know, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. There's like a whole, there's like a whole sphere. (laughs) There are a whole sphere of Twitter who like are totally aware of who I am. And like, they don't follow me obviously because they don't like me, but like they, I was like, I was just reading all of this stuff. Like, whoa, this is kind of, this is kind of deep, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the meetings have, are on Tuesday. Dude, and they have <laughs> and they have such effed up views of what you believe, you know? Yeah. You're there, people are saying, oh, this guy, he's transphobic. He's yeah. um, he's uh, you know, he allies with white supremacists, he's a misogynist, he hates women. He's I'm like, where did you get all of this from? You know what I mean? You got all of yeah. this from like, you know, I tweeted a deadlift, and so now I I hate this whole group of people, or I've got this position, so I've criticized feminism. So now I hate women and I'm a misogynist and I'm this and I'm that. And then people link, oh yeah, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. So I hate gay people and I'm, and I support, apparently I was reading people saying that I support gay people being executed. I was like, what, where? (laughs) Right. Where where, have I said that? Where have I said that? And it's, and it's such like, on one hand, like you don't really care, but on the other hand, I'm like, these are real big charges. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really messed up thing. Yeah, Yeah. That's a really messed up thing that you think I believe. Right. Because yeah. I, I don't, you know, I mean, you would have to be a sociopath not to have that <laughs> penetrate in some way, you know, you yeah. to not have that uh, uh, be upsetting. The first, I've told this story before. Of, I woke up, I tweeted something about um, how I I was like, I'm not going to get on board with this war on white men. And then okay. I just hit the wrong space at the wrong time. And black Twitter came for me. Oh, and boy. Some of the people are com- comedians and, mm. that I know, and I was so upset. I mean, it was, I still get kind of choked up because they were really? all like, you're a grand wizard. And I was like, what? It's bizarre. I, it was so upsetting to me. I still yeah. get upset about it because I'm, it, it's, it is such a like, that was the worst thing you could be called, you yeah. know, when growing up. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I've done, I, and just garbage. Everybody yeah. calling me garbage. I yeah. was like, oh my God, I I didn't even mean to. It was so misrepresented. Yeah. But you know, it's it's like, see, this is this is the thing. A lot of those people, like I think people are too charitable towards them. <laughs> like I know I we've mean, been to, I, I I've gotten to the point where yeah. I'm starting to think that might be true. Because yeah, they would not so. they don't extend the same charity to me. No, no. Cause I, cause look like what you said there. Cause the thing is what I think is, okay. Is what I said morally and ethically right and correct, right? What you said there is morally and ethically correct, right? Mm. The other day, I don't know if you saw this. I mean, it's a couple of weeks. I mean, was it two weeks ago when, uh, there was that whole Nick Cannon thing and he was talking about white people being subhuman savages, et cetera. And I'd like, and I was like, no, I was like, mm. no, right. I, I stood up against racism and I got shellacked like people were like coming at my you know virtually were like coming at my throat you know trying to say all these things and i'm like look what i said was the correct moral position Mm -hmm. so if you if you take issue with me saying hey guys it's not good to be racist to white people if you take issue with that you're the one in the wrong right you're the one who's coming from the bad place Right. But if you in your brain believe that it is impossible for racism to go in that direction. That's which all, is, that in itself is insidious. 
Right. It's that. You know? Well, I mean, that's a critical theory, though, is that it, it's, it, it it's is. all power. It it, is, every but... every relationship and every mm-hmm. interaction is based on power, which to me yeah. is such a cynical view of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, number it's... one, it, number one, it's wrong. Like definition, like in terms of an actual definition, firstly, it's just incorrect. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's not what the definition of racism is. And secondly, that idea comes from it doesn't come from a good place. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't come from a moral place because. Whatever you call the term, even if you don't want to use the term racism, hating or mistreating or being prejudiced or discriminating against someone based on an immutable characteristic is wrong. Just it's ethically wrong. So even if you don't want to use the term racism, I'm like, well, it's the same thing. It's it's racial hatred. Call it racial hatred. It's like that's Mm -hmm. a bad thing. Hatred is hatred. Like we, we know that that's bad. So if you are angry at me for saying, no, that's bad, then, you know, it's like if I say something. I don't know if, if I said something about, you know, people abusing children being bad and then you want to come after me for saying it, then I'm not in the wrong. I'm not, you right. know what I mean? like, I'm not the one who's in the wrong here. You're the one who's got the messed up position. If you think it's okay to hate on people and call them subhuman based on their race or ethnicity, I'm not apologizing to you. Right. You're the one who's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a learning experience. <laughs> And it was upsetting for sure. I like, and, I like you, Bridget. I like you. Yeah. <laughs> You're canceled, but I like you. I'm I'm so good. <laughs> That's the other thing too, a dumpster fire. We just, you know, there's so many things I could, I, because the podcast I have is much more heady and deep and intellectual. And we get into these deeper conversations. Dumpster yeah. fire is really just my Twitter come to life. <laughs> and I say things that if you took them out of context, you'd be, you know, I'd be canceled in five seconds. And yeah. I don't think, I think uh, if you can break through, you know, get that escape velocity, which I feel like I'm on my way to, I still live in constant fear because I was poor for so long. Mm. But um, I think they kind of give up on people like me. Yeah. You know, what are they going to, what are they going to take from me? Yeah. I don't have a job that they can, I'm not working, I'm not running for office. There's Mm -hmm. nothing... I'm really just existing in my own little world, yeah. kind of. So, yeah, no, you, you, people really need to just everybody. I wish everybody would just stop bending the knee to these people. Um, and that's the thing. Like, and again, it's because what 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 I find jarring is like I think again I just think so many people are too too charitable. Like I think people who are more like on the more right leaning, more conservatives, et cetera. It's like you've been dealing with these people for so long that you know. Like, you you, that, you you know that like, yeah, sure. There are some people who are sort of pro-social, you know, social justice, et cetera. And, and I, I know, okay, you can tell it comes from a good, decent place, but when it comes from, oh, okay, look, if you, if someone, if you're trying to destroy somebody's life and career and income because you disagree with them, you are not the good guy. Right. Period. Yeah. that I think that's been something guy. that I've realized too, just the you know even just i tell this story all the time about how i went on glenn beck and i was like did you know they have double standards on the left it's like (laughs) yeah yeah bridget (laughs) we're aware of that um like they 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 apply their rules to unequally and he's like yeah yeah uh so just i think (laughs) having more conversations with conservatives and yeah. I'll say something and they'll be like, yeah, no, no kidding. You know, yeah. we've been dealing with this 
So there is some of that that I realize has just been there for a long time and I was just completely oblivious to it. Sure. And then I think there's, um, you know, you, you and I and anyone really, anyone, anyone at this point gets called a grifter often. And oh, how's that going, by the way? The grifting? Yeah, the grift. Good. <laughs> the grift is strong in this one. <laughs> this one has to be one of the most misused terms online. It's just like every, like anything and everything. It's like just. Oh, what? Gosh. I don't even understand it. Like, okay, hey, if I'm a grifter, I'm really bad at it because I'm not making, like, I'm not rolling in the cash over here. Um, and B, I don't think people know what grifter means. No, they really, they really don't. Like I've seen the word just used. I'm like, that is totally like, the, like a grifting, grifting is like conning. It's like a swindling or conning. That's what it means. So if I say like, I'm selling some, uh, I'm selling some magic tablet that I'm selling some weight loss tablet and it doesn't work. And I'm there like making up false claims and whatever, and I'm shilling it and making money. That's grifting, right? Like yeah. swindling, conning people. It's not having a, a, a view that somebody disagrees with, it's not just making money online. Like I got called, called a grifter for selling my book. I'm like, wow. I wrote a, like I wrote a fitness book. I sell, a, I sell my book. So that's not making money online is not grifting. Like, that's just not, that's not what it means. Like. I think I get called it because it's like, oh, she came from the left and now she's friends with all these right wing people and she's a grifter. Mm. But I'm what am I grifting? I'm still just speaking my truth. And I'm, it only I'm, works in one I'm direction. I'm grifting the truth. Yeah. I'm grifting my truth. Yeah. yeah. It's but just then, weird. Yeah. But then you have people who like make a whole living off of like selling this nonsense. And, you know, uh, you must have heard of Robin DiAngelo, most racist woman in America. The um, biggest grifter in America. <laughs> the biggest grifter. Literally the biggest grifter. You know, she charges like, like, is it 12 like or 15? Like $14,000 or something. Yeah, for yeah, talk. She's earning like six figures a month and literally. They're coming for her though. Did you see that? Oh, yesterday? are they? I haven't, I haven't actually seen that. She got too big. I haven't she actually seen that. She got too big. She should have just laid low. <laughs> kept that grifting money. On the DL. Oh, oh my gosh, man. They were like, she posted a picture on Instagram of her vacation in Vermont and she was with all oh, white people. And oh they gosh. were like, yeah, so they're coming yeah. for her. Oh, yep. wow. Yeah. She got you, too you, big. You can't win. You you just can't win in this. <laughs> the only way you win is by just not playing this game because you're always going to get outflanked in wokeness. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, no. Where do you think this is all going? Do you see think things are? I mean, you're in the states. I uh, I'm seeing from from over the pond. It looks like the whole country is on, is on is on fire right now. I know I know it's not, but because it literally is. No, okay. um, <laughs> it's not. It's funny. Somebody posted your. I haven't have yet to watch it, but I saw you did an interview in my in the locals community and fetacy dot com. They posted um your interview with Brett. Okay. And yeah, I guess you were talking about what the view is like from across the pond. Yeah, yeah. I, I still have to watch it because I'm very interested in your perspective. Um, from my perspective in LA, um, but I've been saying this for years before any of this kind of unrest and whatever. It, I was saying two years ago, it was very hot. There was tons of homelessness 
and it it's has a little bit of a pre prequel to the apocalypse vibe you know like the right before the apocalypse (laughs) i feel like we're in like vias for vendetta (laughs) you know like that that moment right before everything starts going but um i'm not really sure i i on my bad days i think it varies from day to day Mm. and a lot of it depends on what level of nihilism or optimism i'm feeling and on my bad days i'm like glenn back in the bunker get your bully (laughs) on and get ready for the civil war yeah and on my good days i'm no no i think it's it's uh i'm not really sure how this marvel is gonna roll but Mm. i don't see it rolling I understand why everyone's getting out of big cities. Let's just yeah, say that yeah. because there, when there's unrest like this and you live in a place that's not really well fortified, it is terrifying sure. and you're not really sure what um, mobs of people have always scared me in general. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like there's a, a mentality of there's a lot I did like what Chappelle was saying where he he was like, these are the streets talking because I do think there is a certain amount of, I mean, a, these, a lot of people have been fed nonsense about how bad they have it. And also it's not great. You know, a lot of people are struggling in America. Mm -hmm. People are $400 away from being broke. People Mm -hmm. are, they don't have great health care. They don't have, they are terrified all the time. They're trying to make ends meet. Now we've shut everything down and yep. taken away their livelihood. And it it's, a, the whole thing is a recipe for, there's been so much divisiveness from the right and the left. The rhetoric has been horrific um, for four years, really. And so I don't really see it's been longer than four, but yeah. Well, yeah, but the past four have been particularly, I feel like they've been very ramped up. Mm. Um, it's, it's spilled, it's spilled out it, four years ago. It wasn't, um, affecting, like it wasn't on next door. It wasn't affecting people at barbecues. You know, there was mm. still some politics weren't infecting literally every moment of our lives. Mm. I think I think um, there, 2014 is when stuff really went went sideways, in my observation. Interesting. Yeah. Why? Why that, 2014? That, that's that's how I mean, because I mean, remember, I mean, in 2015, I mean, even being over here in the UK, I mean, I remember very specifically in 2015, where, all right, I remember when I was. This is before. I remember before Trump won the Republican nomination, and I was talking with friends and family, and people were laughing at me for saying this guy had a serious chance of winning. Oh yeah, like, I knew he was going to win. Yeah, and people were like, "No," and it was because I, I'd seen this shift that in the culture that from, I do want to say 2014 is when it just started to like, a lot of this weird stuff. I think I think a lot of stuff is, has been coming to a head right. over the last one to two years, but like 2014 was when I myself was kind of like, "There's a weird schism and a rift going on here," and a lot of these weird fringe previously fringe ideas whether it's you know the racial identitarianism stuff the critical theory stuff like the gender stuff 
all of this stuff was just like, I started seeing it seeping in quite rapidly. And I was like, okay, there's going to be a reactionary right. response to this. And I thought that a lot of why Trump won, some people are like, oh, it was just simply economics. I'm like, no, it wasn't. There's a big cultural aspect to it because people see Trump as like a bulwark against some of the madness. Some people think he's the source of the madness. Um, and I can understand that, but I'm like, no, like to people who are in support of him, he's like the bulwark from this stuff just going like right. really, really hard. Yeah, he doesn't put up with way. it. Yeah. Yeah. They see him as a hero. And yeah, that's why I, I think probably that's why I knew he was going to win as well, mm. because I stumbled into the culture wars in 2015. Okay, yeah. okay. And it was when I was realizing that this stuff was everywhere. Yeah. So, but I think the since he won, you know, since he kind of came down that escalator, mm -hmm. the rhetoric has just, it, it's been, yeah, it's been taken up to 11. Yeah. And I do feel like our culture is approaching a bit of a rock bottom and okay. we might just need to bottom out in order to rebuild because mm -hmm. I, I, but I'm not really, I, I have no idea. It's really, um, I don't know whether I'm going to be on the front lines of some civil war in December mm -hmm. or I'm going to be sitting on my couch watching Netflix or I'm going to be <laughs> roasting rats over an oil dump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could be really could go any oh, one no. of the ways. The UK is going to be taking refugees from the US. <laughs> I hope so, but you guys have some messed up stuff over there too. We do, but America does everything ten times harder. Everything yeah, but you, you guys harder. are the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of weird Orwellian stuff over there. There, there you guys is. Don't yeah, even there have is. Free speech. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's it's um, it's strange. It's strange. I don't know the the modern Western world is. It's bizarre because. It's really weird. And I think it's quite deranging because things are, in many ways, by most measures that you'd measure a society, things are better than they've ever been. I know. Right? But we're like trust fund babies who just don't know what to do with our wealth. Yeah. And then by other measures, certain things are like really bad compared to where they've been over the past few decades, depending on what you're looking at. And then. There's also people who want to, uh, we live in the age of feelings and the age of narrative, right? And even though things are so good, people are insisting that they're worse than ever, right? There's right. never been, there's never been more talk in my life, my, my entire lifetime. I've never heard so many people talking about white supremacy and racism and Nazis and fascists. And I'm like, where? Do you know what I mean? Like, where are where are all these white supremacists? Have you ever met a fascist? I haven't. I hear about fascists all the time. I've never met a fascist. Like, I've met a lot. I've met socialists. I've met conservatives, liberals. I mean, um, you met one today, Zuby. Oh, geez. Cancel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll have to call my Antifa friends. According and, to Twitter, you met one right now. Okay. We'll have to talk to you and they'll come with the milkshakes. Yep. <laughs> I mean, what's going on in what's going on in Portland, Bridget? Tell me, I don't oh, understand. My gosh. <laughs> like, what is going on? Really, looking back, it was the natural evolution. <laughs> you know, I I have kind of a weird theory that I've been playing out in my brain 
that it seems it doesn't seem like an accident to me that a lot of this is happening with the rise of the legalization of marijuana. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that is probably a wildly unpopular theory, but <laughs> I think that weed can make you really aggressive and really dumb. And I see a lot of really aggressive dumbness out there. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I, I have no science to back this up. This is just <laughs> a, a theory that I'm working on. I started working on it on my walk yesterday just because mm. I was thinking about uh, Portland, you know, I'm like, yeah. ah, they're all just so high up there. They're just <laughs> bored I thought it was supposed to chill people out. That's what I no, thought. No, the I've weed never is it. so strong. This is what everybody's saying. Oh. Everyone says like, oh, it's supposed to chill you out depending on the strain. But in the past decade of when I was smoking, I remember going to Coachella one year and I kept calling it Agrochella because okay. I was like, what is everyone smoking that they're so aggressive? Really? And the weed has been pumped up with all kinds of stuff and it's been, you know, they have managed to perfect this, the art of growing this, but they've mm. taken all this, you know, they take, they've, they've pumped it up. It's all steroids and fertilizers and all kinds of crazy teas with backwano. And, wow. but I do think it's, there's a lot of um, weird, maybe it's just heightening the already, you know, mm. I think at the root of it all, it's a class war, really, yeah. what we're seeing. It's just the, there's so much access to envy. You know, we have so much envy We with Instagram and you're always seeing everyone who's doing better than you and mm. you're not really seeing the real person behind a lot of these personas. And then you have people who are idiots like David Geffen posting, you know, drone shots from their yacht in quarantine. Oh, and you're like, read the room, David, <laughs> read yeah. the room. You know, the pitchforks are coming for you. Yeah, but I don't know. The people I with the pitchforks seem to be pretty rich from what I can see. A lot of them are. Yeah. But they don't. <laughs> this is the irony. But they've it. told like, themselves they're not. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Like I've never seen such privileged, oppressed people ever. I know it's crazy. <laughs> this is why I think it's the weed because you're really just weird. delusional and crazy. Yeah, it's making people crazy. Okay, so the message of the story, the the moral of the story: don't do drugs. <laughs> don't do drugs, kids, don't or you'll end up like Portland. Awesome. Bridget, where can people um where can people find you online? Um, you can find me at Bridget Fetacy on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me at Fetacy.com. We have a lovely community. It's an oasis of free speech and just chillaxness. We do workout videos and talk about cooking oh, and nice. post it's so soothing. It's just <laughs> nice. I lip love it there. Nice. And we um and you can find me on YouTube at the dumpster fire or fetacy is the channel and um podcast is walk-ins welcome, which you've been on. I have. I had to return the favor. Bridget, thank you yeah. so much for coming on the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Thank you for Pleasure having me. It's so fun. Awesome. Sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me, destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.